This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. The title of this message is God's Direction in Life's Decision. God's Direction in Life's Decision, if you will, be finding 1 John chapter 5, and then I want you to just simply hold your place there. 1 John chapter 5, and I want you to hold your place there because I've got to set up what I want to say in kind of a longer uh, introduction. God's direction in life's decisions. You see, before the cross of Jesus Christ, God revealed Himself to man by the spoken word and by dreams. Now, I want you to think, prior to the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died about 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem. Everything changed from then forward. Everything the Old Testament talked about was fulfilled in Jesus Christ on that cross. He came and He fulfilled the law and the prophets. Back in those Old Testament days, they didn't have the Spirit of God living in them. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would come upon them for service, but He did not indwell the believer. That could not happen until Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died on the cross, and He sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That's what happened at Pentecost, and we know that is what we consider the birthday of the church, the church being made up of all those people who are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Now, so back in those Old Testament days, people heard God as far as Moses and uh, Aaron, and as they would go up on Mount Sinai, would hear the voice of God, but people would dream dreams. God would reveal Himself in dreams. Now, I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture, but I I want you to hold your place in 1 John chapter 5 because I'm coming back to that. I'm just setting this up. But I want you to listen to this. Back in those Old Testament days, God revealed Himself by the spoken Word. You see this clearly in Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear... Listen, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Back in those days, they heard the voice of God. But now, you think about this. At Mount Sinai, that's where God gave Moses the law to give to the people. You see, this was prior to grace. You and I live under grace. Back then, they lived under the law. And they tried hard to maintain the law, but they could not. It was absolutely impossible. And so the people looked at Mount Sinai with fear, wonderment, and trembling. It was a forbidding place. Neither mankind nor animal could touch Mount Sinai. If it was seen that a man touched it or an animal from a distance, The people were instructed by arrow or by spear to kill that animal, to kill that individual. They could not touch Mount Sinai without dying. And so only Moses and Aaron were allowed to ascend Mount Sinai. And so from Mount Sinai, there was was thunder, there was lightning, there was a dark cloud. You could hear the voice of God, and there was just sense of awe. And this sense of fear. And so that's the way it was back in the Old Testament days. 
God revealed Himself to man through the spoken Word. But not only that, He revealed Himself to man through dreams. Uh, one example of that is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, very familiar. Isaiah 6, 1, listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, listen, the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. What a sight to behold. The vision produced a deep conviction in the prophet Isaiah. And what happened was he began to realize that he needed to be brought to a place of confession of sin. Uh, this verse in uh, Isaiah 6.1 speaks of God's holiness and the fact that God requires His servants uh, to be cleansed from serving Him. So back during those Old Testament days, remember, back before Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, there was a shaking, a trembling, lightning, clouds. Uh, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they were uh, guided by a cloud uh, during the day and a pillar of fire by night. It was scary. The people were very much afraid, and they trembled. And it was a mentality of thou shalt not. That's how they thought. Why? Because that's what God orchestrated. That's the way God designed things. Now, God gave clear direction to the people in the Old Testament days, like Moses and Isaiah, through the spoken word and through dreams. But God is not presently working in dreams and audible words in these days. Things have changed. You see, we need no outer audible voice. Why not? Because we have the inner voice of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so when you're thinking about God's direction in life's decisions, when you're thinking about, I need to make certain decisions that when I make this decision, it's going to alter the course of my life. I don't want to make a mistake. Well, this message is for you if you find yourself today in that situation, or if you're taking notes, you hang on to these notes because I promise you this, you're going to find yourself in situations in the future where you got to make paramount decisions. And I promise you, if you'll listen to this message, you'll know exactly what to do. It'll be very clear. And so we need to remember, God is not working with man in this dispensation with an audible voice and with dreams. I personally believe we've got it much better. God now lives inside of us. We talk about the still small voice. If you truly are a child of God, He lives in you. And he's always there, and you don't have to go out to a mount and wait to see trembling, thunder, and lightning, and clouds, and even shaking of the earth. You know why? Because, my friend, there was once a Mount Sinai, and there still is. I've seen it over in the Holy Land. But thank God for Mount Calvary. Amen? My friend, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. What started at Mount Sinai, my friend, Jesus fulfilled on Calvary. And so, from here forward, we live under God's grace. Now, another verse I want to read to you from 
from the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Listen to this. Paul said to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the mystery for so many years during those Old Testament days was how do I have a personal relationship with this holy God that's not touchable? I can't even touch the mountain where he speaks to the priest. And so that mentality was carried on all through the Old Testament. They was handed down by oral tradition to sons and daughters and grandchildren. And so for thousands and thousands of years, people's view of God was distant, high and lifted up on a throne, and don't even come near, don't touch, don't touch the Ark of the Covenant, or you'll be struck dead. This was the way they operated, and I'm afraid, even though Jesus has come and He has died, He's fulfilled the law and the prophets, I'm afraid the majority of Christians in our day still see God that way. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Doesn't that show I have reverence for God? Not at all. It shows that you view God as distant from you, about to get you, and you're afraid of Him. Well, shouldn't we be afraid of God? My friend, we should reverence God, but we need to see Him the way Jesus told the disciples when the disciples said, show us how to pray. What did Jesus say? Not our King, our Master, our Lord. He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, our Father who art uh, in heaven. And so, my friend, you have all of God in His fullness living inside of you. We have a teacher who's within us and not without. Now, God gave clear direction back in those days, and He's still doing it today. Now, with this view in mind, uh, I want to read from 1 John chapter 5. I want to read verses 14 and 15. Remember, God loves you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And when you believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, God is no longer sitting up on Mount Sinai. Because of Mount Calvary, He now can live inside of you. With that view of God, which is the correct view of God, and which will only be taught here on this property, with that view of God, let me read these verses. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 says, Now this is the, listen, the word confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, but notice this, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Now, if you don't read that closely, you'll think, well, yeah, the, the wealth guys, uh, the people who jump up and down and say, look, you ask God anything, He's going to give it to you, and they got diamond rings and they drive Cadillacs. And that's not what I'm talking about at all. The glory boys, I think some people like to call them that. That verse does not mean that. Notice, according to His will. When we ask God according to His will, we know that He hears us. 
For whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So if you're looking for God's direction in a major decision in your life, you can know that God is listening to you. And you can know that if you'll let His will be lined up in your will, you can know that your petitions will uh, be answered. Now, you say, well, how does this happen? All right, if you're taking notes, this is number one. If you're looking for God's direction in life decisions, number one, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. You say, how do I prepare myself? My friend, listen, confess any known sin. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So you say, okay, you're saying that if I'm going to make a wise decision that's going to, that's paramount in my life, that if I don't make this decision correctly, it could hold back my whole life. You're saying I need to prepare myself and I need to start by confessing any sin. Exactly. You got to clear your account with God. You say, well, my account is cleared with God because he's died on the cross. That's true. Judiciously, my friend, your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But there's something else we have to look at. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9. Now remember, John here is speaking to believers. In First John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the forgiveness that John is speaking of here is what's called parental and it's not judicial. You, what do you mean? My friend, listen, judicial forgiveness is what you received the moment you were saved. When you realized, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, and you put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, at that moment, my friend, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were covered, were propitiated, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That means God took them away. That's judicial. That is God as judge. Now, what do you mean when you say parental forgiveness? Think of God as Father. God is Father. You say, well, look, if all my sins are covered and uh, He died for all my sins, why do I need parental forgiveness? It's not for God. It's for you. You see, judicial forgiveness, that is, the Bible says that we're born dead in our trespasses and sins without Christ. There's only one way that relationship can change is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. God has to judge all of your sin and mine in totality in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. He did this. He's judged it. And what has he said about you and me? Not what? Guilty. Why? Because Jesus was our substitute, and Jesus took, paid the price on the cross. That's as judge. But now that you are a child of God, and you do sin after salvation, though your heart's desire is never to sin again, when you sin, it's not what God needs from you. It's what you need from God. You say, what do you mean? When you sin after salvation, God still sees you perfect in Christ Jesus. 
He sees you. That is your standing. That is your position in Christ. But you're still living your life on this earth. That is your condition. That is your state. And you sin after salvation. So what happens when you sin after salvation? If you're truly born again, you feel guilty. And the Holy Spirit lovingly is bringing you under conviction about your sin. Now, listen, at that point, God does not need anything from you. Why? Because He still sees you perfect in Christ Jesus. If we will confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of sins. Why would He have us do that if we're already forgiven? This is the reason. It's not for Him. It's for you. Why? Because you feel guilty when you sin after salvation. Thank God you feel that way. Why? Because if you didn't, that would be evidence that you were not born again. You say, well, illustrate. Okay, I will. You've heard me do this many times. I'll keep doing it forever. If I leave my watch right there and uh, I get to talking to people and nobody's looking around and you come up and you put my watch in your pocket and you walk out and then you come back tonight, will you sit on the front row or the back row? You'll sit on the back row. Why will you sit on the back row? It's because you feel what? Guilty. After the service, I walk back to just want to say hi to you, and you kind of fidgety, and you look at your thing, and you ease on out the door. Why do you do all that? I haven't done anything to you. It's because you feel guilty. Listen, when you sin after salvation, you avoid God. Why do you think churches are not filled up in our city? Because people are following God at a guilty distance. It's because they don't understand what I'm talking to you about in these very moments right now. And so you say, well, well, then if a person takes your watch, Brother Chris, and, and he avoids you, you haven't done anything wrong. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just without a watch, and I don't know who got it. But that person who got it knows they feel guilty, and they begin to avoid me. I can't do anything about that. It's not that I need to do something towards them. They need to do something towards me. Listen, when you sin after salvation as a child of God, it's God's not going to do any more. What, can He do more than the fact that He's already sent His Son, He's already died on the cross? He can't do any more than that. So then why do I have to go and ask God to forgive me? It's to purge your conscience. It's to clear your guilty conscience. And so that's parental forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is the fact that you were born a sinner separated from God, and God takes all of your sins, placed them upon Jesus. He died out with it, paying your price that you owed as your substitute. And then when you sin after salvation as a child of God, you need parental forgiveness. Why? It's because you feel guilty and you need to restore not your relationship, your fellowship with God. Your relationship, my friend, is intact. It can never be altered. Your fellowship with God, that sweet communion that you and I enjoy, it can be altered, not on God's side, but on your side because you feel guilty, but you're still under grace. That is what the Bible teaches, and that is the definition of uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And so... There is judicial forgiveness, and there is parental forgiveness. So you say, okay, if I'm going to make a paramount decision in my life, 
that can affect the rest of my life. I can't mess it up. Number one, you have to prepare yourself. You have to confess any known sin. You have to know, yes, I am forgiven fully, but there are things that I've done since I was saved that I feel guilty about, and I'm avoiding God. And listen, when you avoid God because of guilt, and you stay that way for a long time, you begin to wonder if you're really saved. Not only that, when you stay that way for a very long time, you're not going to pray. Why not? Because you don't feel worthy to pray before God when there's sin in your life. And when you stay that way for a long time, I'm telling you, that fellowship and that sweet communion with God is nil and void. And you don't trust yourself to know how to make decisions. You're not used to hearing his still small voice because you avoid him. And so when it comes to decision-making time, you just feel like I'm frustrated. I don't trust me, and it's like I don't hear from God. So the very first thing you have to do is prepare yourself, confessing any known sin, and then not only confessing any known sin, you need to consider your desires. Not only confessing any known sin, you must consider your desires. You see, your desires must be neutralized by the will of God. You say, what do you mean? All of us have desires, and all of us are humans. We can make mistakes. There's no way God could ever make a mistake. But because you and I are in our humanity, and because you and I can make mistakes, sometimes, though it feels right, sometimes, though it seems like God's will, but really, it's just my human will that's fickle, and I'm, what I feel is not truth, and it's not necessarily the way I should go. So you confess any known sin, then you consider your desires, and you say, Lord, I ask you to neutralize my human desires so that my human desires will not sabotage your perfect will for my life. Hey, my friend, you have to do this. The reason so many Christians are so unhappy is because they haven't understand these simple things, and they've made decisions that haunt them to the grave. And so you consider your desires. Ask God to neutralize your desires by God's will. You say, well, uh, where do you see this in Scripture? Well, look, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, listen to this. For it is God who works, notice, in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. This means that it is God who puts within us the will and the desire to do His will in the first place. Then He also works in us the power to carry out the desire by the Holy Spirit. Going back, if you have a wrong view of God, if you have a Mount Sinai view of God, if you have a view of God as sitting on a throne, crown on His head, scepter in His hand, stern face, I'm telling you this, you have a judicial view of God instead of a parental view of God. It's okay to have a judicial view of God initially for salvation, but now that you are his child, all through the Bible, Jesus said children. Why? Because we're children of God. We get parental forgiveness now. Now, with that in mind, if you have the wrong view of God, you will not realize when you read these New Testament passages here in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. If you have a view of God as outside, up there, 
looking down, watching you, being disappointed in you, my friend, you don't view him as even being in you, much less thinking that he talks to me. My friend, if you're a child of God, God talks to you by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You say, I want to make the right decision. Listen to the inward voice of God, because if you're a child of God, he's there and he's in you. You've got to listen to him. And so prepare yourself, confess any known sin, consider your desires and say, God, neutralize my desires, because if you don't, I'll do the wrong thing. All right. Second thing is this, not only prepare yourself, but be patient. You've got to be patient. You say, I'm just not a patient person. My friend, you better deal with that today because it's going to continue to mess up your life. My friend, you've got to be patient. Psalm 27, 14 says this, wait. That is, wait in faith. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen you. Talking about the Holy Spirit, I believe here. Wait, wait in faith, I say, on the Lord. Now, faith is simply taking God at his word, to believe that God is God and that he will keep his word and his promises. See, in the Christian life, you can't live your life making snap judgments. And you can't live your life just somehow just, uh, how do I feel right now? I'll do that. That's the way most people live. And that's why things are in an absolute mess in homes, families, and in our government. Man, our government's upside down, my friend. You can't make decisions, snap decisions, if you're going to live a godly life. And if you know that God's within you, you have to wait upon the Lord. And when he says here in the Psalm, wait upon the Lord, what is he saying? He's saying, wait in faith. That's not just sitting there saying, all right, I'm waiting, Lord. That's not what that means. Y'all pray for me. I'm waiting. Like as if he's slow or something. My friend, God's always on time. God transcends time. Well, then when you're not sitting there just waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting, Lord. You're the one slow, not me. I'm ready to go. No, you need to stop your thinking. That's as Zig Ziglar would say, that's stinking thinking. It doesn't work. This is what you should do. You wait in faith. You say, how do you wait in faith? My friend, you look at the promises of God and you say, I'm going to wait because he promises me that he's going to act on my behalf if I wait on him. And he's either lying or he's telling the truth. And I'm telling you, he's telling the truth. You've got to wait on God. And so we have to, uh, we have to be uh, patient. Remember, God is arranging people and circumstances for you and you for them. God's doing things that you can never know. God may be arranging someone that's going to be a blessing in your life. You don't even know who they are yet. God's arranging you and getting you ready for someone you're going to be a blessing in their life. They don't know you. You don't know them. My friend, you got to live this way. This is supernatural living. you got to think this way. But I want to give you a word of comfort. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, what? Patience. And where does the Holy Spirit live? In you? So you have patience. Look, it's not your patience, it's his that he wants you to rely on. You say, well, I'm just not patient. Listen, don't worry about you not being patient. Just be glad that he who's within you is patient. Amen? Rely on his patience. Now, 
as you surrender your human will, letting God neutralize your human will, you will experience a rest in the will of God. It'll be expressed in you by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so, be patient. Not your patient, not doing this. Lord, I'm waiting. Your turn to act. No, no, no. Be patient, relying on His Holy Spirit in you to be patient as you abide in Him. Wait in faith. You say, what do you mean wait in faith? I'm waiting knowing I don't have to understand it all, but you promised to take care of me, and I believe it. Now, third thing is this. You prepare yourself. You choose to be patient. Third thing is this. Expect pressure. Expect pressure. There's going to be external pressure, and there's going to be negative pressure from circumstances, and there's going to be an internal pressure. The external pressure is a negative pressure from other people. High pressure to make you do something. I want to tell you, I'm very careful who I'm close friends with. That's not arrogance at all. But I want to tell you, I don't really want to hear from just anybody. Because I don't really know very many spirit-filled people seem to be non-existence in the United States of America. And why do I want to hear anything from people who are carnal? Because it'll make things worse. So when you're trying to make a wise decision, expect eternal pressure, negative pressure from other people, a, a, a sense of high pressure to make you do something quickly. Not only that, negative pressure from your circumstances. Like when you get a little bit later in life, I can say this because I, uh, I went through this. Uh, I didn't get married till later in life. And so I had this pressure that you would hear from well-meaning people. Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married yet? And uh, I wanted to tell them because there's nobody good enough for me. That's why. Uh, but that wouldn't have been right. Uh, number one, it wouldn't be right, and it would have been arrogance. But people would uh, make you think something's wrong with you if you weren't married by a certain age. And so that's just an example of, uh, of pressure sometimes that you can feel. And there's many other circumstances and pressure that can come uh, in your life. But you know what? The reason I didn't get married, because timing wasn't right. You know what I did? I kept waiting in faith, relying on his patience within me. And eventually God brought Kelly along, just what I needed. If you don't believe it, ask her. She'll tell you. She's exactly what I needed. And so you'll have pressure inside of you. Well, I got to get married or or I got to get this perfect job, and I got to get everything in order. My friend, that type stuff can't be from God. God does not operate that way, and He certainly doesn't operate that way living in you. And so, you see, when you, you expect pressure, it's, you got the external pressure coming from others, and also from circumstances that everybody go through in life. But listen, just keep waiting in faith. Now, I want to give you a word of warning. When you're trying to discern a decision that's major and you don't want to mess up, be careful who you listen to. Why? Some people will seek to please you and tell you what they think that you want to hear. And you say, oh, I just love you. That's exactly what I was thinking. Don't listen to them. 
Now, other people will try to convince you how super spiritual they are, and they'll always say, take the hard road, because they want you to think that, boy, they must be serious. They're telling me to take the hard decision. Don't listen to them either. They may be wrong. Be careful who you listen to. Build relationships with wise and godly men and women so that they're slow to tell you what to do. They think about it and pray about it and then tell you instead of just on these issues sometimes in life. They give you wrong uh, advice. Be careful. And so then there not only is the external pressure that comes from people and circumstances, but also there's an internal pressure that's positive. That is, there is the positive pressure from the Holy Spirit, and He's doing one of two things. He's in you. He's not on Mount Sinai. Since Mount Calvary, He lives in the believer. He's not speaking to you in dreams. He's not speaking to you with an audible voice. He's living in you, impressing upon you. And He's either urging you or He's slowing you when you're trying to make a decision. If He's urging you, begin to move in the direction you think God is leading you, though you are still unsure, and move slowly. When I left the railroad to go into ministry, I'll be honest, I was walking away from uh, a very good living, good money, good benefits. I was even thinking about building a house. And I'll be honest, I prayed about coming up to Mid-America Seminary. Some days I think absolutely. Other days I'm not so sure. And man, I was just like that. And uh, so finally I said, okay, I'm going to begin to move this direction. And God, if you don't want me to do this, you better stop me because it's going to be bad. Because uh, with the railroads, you work by seniority. And if you leave, they may hire you back, but you start at the very bottom and work your way all the way back up. It was a major decision in my life. And I came to the point where one day I was going to go in the office and I'd completed uh, my last run and I was going to sign my ticket, time ticket, knowing that if I signed that time ticket and then realized, oh, I made a mistake, I was going to come all the way back down to the bottom if they would even hire me back. And I'll be honest, I felt this sense of maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. But I did what I did, I just kept moving that direction, and God did not stop me. And eventually, more and more, I got confirmation after confirmation after confirmation that it's the right thing for me to do. And so, God urges you. But sometimes you sense God slowing you down. Slowing you down. And boy, when God's slowing you down, my friend, listen, slow down. Don't make a major decision if you sense God holding you back. Your responsibility is to obey, which is that's abiding in Him. God's responsibility is to direct you. Don't get this turned around, getting God to obey your human wishes. Don't do that. Detrimental. Number four, when you're seeking... Uh, God's direction and life's decisions. Number four, pray in the will of God. Pray in the will of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, listen, according to His will, He hears us. You see, confidence leads to expecting to get God's mind about a decision. Remember, your praying is not persuading or convincing God. God already knows everything. God is persuading and convincing you, lining your mind up with His mind. But my friend, you're not persuading and convincing an all-knowing God. God does not change. God is immutable. 
Uh, in the Bible, he says, I change not, says the Lord. See, we change, and as we pray and get his mind on a matter, we'll see that it's not God changing and adapting to me. I'm changing and adapting to God. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith, that is, taking God at his word, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man, the one who doubts, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So you and I must realize I can't live life doubting God when I'm asking him to give me wisdom. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to walk in faith according to his promises. I'm not asking him to change to fit my desires and my will. I'm willing to change my mind and my will to God's. Number five, rest in God's promises. There are many promises, but this is one. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. Very, very important two verses here. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. Listen to this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He says, not only will I instruct you and teach you, he says, I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Now, I want, you to, I want to ask you this. Which one are you? Are you a horse or are you a mule when it comes to God? See, a horse is impulsive, but they just run all over the place. But a mule is stubborn. They just hunker down. They won't budge. What would God have you to do? He says, I'm guiding you with my eye. You say, Pastor, you show me where his eye is. I want to see it. It's within you. It's not on Mount Sinai. It's the Spirit of God living in you. You say, well, how does he guide me? He guides me when I listen to him and from his word. And so it's like this. You see a family sitting around a dinner table, and the child there is playing with her fork. And she's just, yeah, it drives you up the wall. Now, the dad finally just looks at the child. He doesn't say anything. He just looks. Now, what does she do? She just puts it down. He guided her with his eyes without saying a word. God, by his Holy Spirit who lives in you, if you're listening to him, my friend, he's guiding you. This is our problem. In our busy society, we just don't listen to God anymore. I want you to think about when you pray. Get up in the morning and have your quiet time. Dear Lord, I trust you for the day. Father, give me wisdom in all situations that come in my life. Father, help me to respond the right way in all things. In Jesus' name, uh, we, and, and Father, uh, this decision I need to make about this job Father, I just ask you to give me wisdom, give me clarity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We look at our watch and we take off. Now, that's how most people pray, especially in America. What would God have you and me to do? The same thing that if a friend of yours came to you and says, look, I think I'm going to marry this guy, but I'm not sure. What do you think? See you later. And you walk off. You haven't listened to anything you... You come to them and ask them for advice. Then you say, see you later. You don't listen. After you pray, 
I want to tell you, if you'll do this, it'll go a long way. Sit and listen to God. Just sit there and listen to Him. He's talking to you all the time. Our problem is we don't really believe that He is because we view God as way up there, looking down here instead of living inside of us. Sixth and the last thing is this. Remember, just as patience is the fruit of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, so is His fruit of peace. When you're trying to make a decision, just rest in His patience because your patience is not very deep. His can't be measured. The same way that you rest in His patience in this decision, wait for His peace. Remember, one of the fruit of the indwelling Holy Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace. Philippians 4, 6-7, listen to what Paul says. This is the New King James Version. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God, talking about the Holy Spirit, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that same passage from the Amplified Bible. Listen to this. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, talking about definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God, and God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and being content with this earthly lot of whatever sort that it is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I'm just not having peace. Don't budge. i got to make a decision, though. What's this anxious coming from? Is somebody putting pressure on you? Is your circumstances not right? You need to wait. And while you're waiting, take some advice from Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Almost Forest Highest, a great Christian classic. He said this. He says, when you're not sure how God's leading you, just wait on Him. Don't move. Don't budge. And turn and do the duty that lies nearest. I have found over and over again that when I want to know something right now, if I'll just quit striving, trust God, and turn and do what I, other things that I need to be done in the midst of doing these other things, all of a sudden I know. I got peace. Make the decision. And it's right. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.